0: A ratio marketing podcast. One of the things that the technology vendors said would be really helpful is, you know, if we could get feedback from the market on what products and what um, outsourced services, what additional services they're looking to buy, that would be hugely valuable for us. We'd really love to know what what the market is looking to buy, so that if we have three, four, five solutions from a sales and marketing standpoint, we know which ones to prioritize. Um, From a product roadmap planning perspective, we know which ones are the ones that the market really cares
1: about. Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the healthcare market matrix. Welcome, everybody, to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm your host, John Farkas, and today I am privileged to be in the Ratio studio with Trish Rivard. And Trish is a healthcare technology and revenue cycle expert, and she has a real passion for translating market feedback into actionable strategies and investment. So, How does one become a healthcare technology and RCM expert, you ask? (laughs) Well, Trish began her career at the Federal Reserve because where else are you going to get great experience in revenue management? Uh, But she helped spearhead a strategic payments and research group there. And then after about a decade at the Federal Reserve, she managed outsourced revenue cycle for hospitals at R1 where she got a lot of hands-on experience with denials and prior auths. And then she moved over to the technology side as head of product for, for Trizetto Provider Solutions, where she managed revenue cycle portfolio of about $135 million that included all RCM products and services, new solution development, and operationalizing new products and product ideas for hospitals and physicians. But then after she spent some time in that realm, trying to understand the market that she was endeavoring to serve, she saw a really clear gap. And then in 2015, she founded Eliciting Insights, which is a marketing research group that's aiming to bring quality market feedback to healthcare companies and investors. And they're working to Really work to identify true market needs, to develop a blueprint for accelerating growth, to align product roadmaps with strategy, to learn what, your, uh, what markets are going to be willing to pay for, to discover what factors drive actual purchasing decisions. They're looking at revealing the current and upcoming competitions, so they're able to discern uh, competition trends. And working to understand what growth opportunities exist in the market and how you can capitalize on, on them. So uh, it was a need that she saw lacking or that she was having a hard time finding uh, resources to answer. And so she decided to jump in and uh, and make that happen. So other than the fact that Trish is a good friend and a part of the Ratio Advisory Board, we both share a passion for cycling, and we may or may not have stole away from a recent trade show to grab a quick 30-mile sanity ride along the Cumberland River in Nashville. Uh, We may have done that, Uh, but I'm really excited to talk to Trish today because Eliciting Insights just uh, teamed up with the HFMA to release a fantastic comprehensive report that uncovers the health system's finance and revenue Uh, finance and revenue cycle purchase plans for 2023. And so that is what we're getting ready to dive into today. So Trish, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix.
0: Thank you. Thank you, John. Excited to be here today.
1: So our opportunity today is to dive into some of this report. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with HFMA and how this report came to be, Trish.
0: Um, Yeah, so HFMA, so I've been going to the HFMA conference uh, for, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 years now. Um, It's a great organization overall and a really loyal member base. And last year, um, actually Carol Romashko, one of our mutual friends, introduced me to um, Rita Walker, who manages the channel partner relations. And Rita and I started talking and you know, we shared some of the work we did and they were looking to bring additional value to, um, they have a peer review program for the healthcare technology vendors that um, sell to hospitals and they were looking to bring more value. And so in our um, conversations with the peer review vendors, one of the, one of the things that the technology vendors said would be really helpful is, you know, if we could get feedback from the market on what products and what um, outsource services, what additional services they're looking to buy, that would be hugely valuable for us. We'd really love to know what, what the market is looking to buy so that if we have three, four or five solutions from a sales and marketing standpoint, we know which ones to prioritize. Um, from a product roadmap planning perspective, we know which ones are the ones that the market really cares about. From a strategic planning perspective, these are, these are the areas we can focus on. And they also wanted to know um, how, um, you know, how a more granular level. So health systems with Epic versus Cerner versus Meditech, you know, what solutions are they buying? Um, also look at the market by region. Look at it by bed size. What are the larger health systems looking to buy versus the smaller health systems? So really, that was um, that was the vision for the report. Um, and then, um, you know, the HMA decided to to move forward with that. And so this is the the first in a series of reports. Um, But in addition to bringing value to the peer review, we thought this was also something that the HFMA membership base, as well as um, investors and other health tech vendors would give value out of. So the report's also available for, um, for purchase on our website.
1: Awesome. And for those few of you who may not know what we're meaning when we say HFMA, because the world is awash in acronyms, uh, it's Healthcare Financial Management Association. And um, in this report, I, I'm curious because I think that that it would be good for our listeners to know, Trish, how you even begin to approach a project like this. So, so how are you identifying audiences? Who are you? Wh- what types of people are you talking to? How is that coming together? That's
0: a great question. So in the Listening Insights, we do a lot of market research um, the way that we like to approach things and the way we approach this um, this project is we started with interviews of CFOs. So we interviewed 15 health system CFOs and really, you know, what are your challenges? What are your priorities? What are your pain points? What are you focusing on? Really got the context and landscape from the ultimate buyer for revenue cycle and finance solutions. Um, and then from there, we designed a survey. We launched the survey, and um, altogether we got 321 responses. Um, for a survey, we did include uh, the CFO, VP, and director. So we went down to the director level. And typically, the the director level in a health system, they may not be the final buyer, but they are a key influencer. Really, because you know they're looking at the feature Absolutely. functionality, they're thinking about integration, they're thinking about day to day workflow. So we really wanted to get um, a view of um, purchasing from both the key influencers as well as the final decision maker and you know for um you know the HFMA with um with this really strong loyal membership base within the health system community it was great um, from a listening insights we have our own proprietary panel and typically you know our our surveys will be able to get you know 100 maybe up to 200 responses uh for you know for our project like this and um you know for this particular project we were able to get like I said, 321
1: respondents. Yeah. And I just, you know, just, li- I know a number of you out there who are listening to this have direct application for an organization like Eliciting Insights that can, that has a ready, a ready group of humans and, and they have a, a great methodology for, um, for getting the kind of information that you need to help inform your marketing plans. So lots of good there, but, uh, certainly some, some great, insight in the context of this report and we're going to dive a little bit into some of what you learned um because it does i mean it, it there were a number of things that i i saw that were um really surprising to me and in some sense um you know just helping me define how hospitals are looking at things there's certainly been a, a major movement in how uh how hospitals are addressing revenue, how they are and some of the, the weight that they are putting behind uh, some of these initiatives. And so what, so based on the um, HFMA health system purchase plans, 2023 report, that's what we're talking about here uh, that you just released 79% of health system. C-suites are planning to buy new solutions in finance or revenue cycle. So, I know it surprised me, Trish. I'm I'm curious if that surprised you. So,
0: no, actually, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think the you know with the pandemic, purchasing has slowed down significantly, and you know we've all been sitting here saying, "Is there a recession coming or not?" But revenue cycle is something that's so important for health systems. So, in order to get paid from payers, I mean, payers are you know they're they're adding in layers of technology that'll make it harder make it more challenging. I mean, we see it with prior offs. Uh, so payers are constantly evolving and finding new ways of making it more challenging for providers to get paid. And so providers need to keep investing in newer technology, new ways of getting paid. And we've seen a new solution. Um, it was included in this report, but it's uh, insurance discovery. So it's, it's a solution where the vendors are actually um, helping. So if a patient's insurance is denied for lack of coverage, or the patient presents as a self-pay, then um, these solutions are really, you know, going out and looking at all the different payers and seeing if a patient has some kind of hidden coverage or, um, you know, unknown coverage, and then attempting to bill for it, right? So that's kind of the kind of the next, Level of of solutions were out there, so there's always new things out there, and providers really need to stay on top of it, um, mm-hmm. you know, in order to maximize their reimbursement.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely some movement in that realm, and interesting to see that how how they're responding. I know that Waystar recently announced plans to IPO, and I'm curious. Uh, in, in light of some of that. What, what does that mean for RC, the uh, overall RCM ecosystem?
0: Yeah, so um, it's, it's, been, it's been really fun to be in, in revenue cycle for the past 15, 20 years and watch it evolve. Because there used to be a lot of different point solutions and then we've seen this kind of evolution. And I really see the, the Waystar IPO as part of this overall evolution, right? Where you have a lot of small players and mm. then the small players... Get it, you know, there's some kind of roll-up that's happened on the technology side of revenue cycle. And, you know, now one of these roll-ups, which is Waystar, is now at a point where it's going through and, you know, is about to go through an IPO. It's really kind of that, that maturity in the market. From a provider perspective, you know, hopefully when you get to that level of IPO maturity, you know, we'll start to see, you know, really good integration in these, these rolled-up platforms. So that's the uh the hope. Um uh, but you know, integrating does take a lot of time and um you know financial investment to get there. Um the other the other thing that's um that's you know interesting too is to see the difference between tech and services. So on the outside outsource side mm-hmm. of revenue cycle, we still see a lot of smaller players out there. Um and we really haven't seen I I've, I've been kind of waiting like expecting that we're gonna see that level of roll up of the outsource services. Um and we we haven't yet seen it. Um so it'll be interesting to see um, you know, if kind of the that maturity in the outsource side um starts to happen. We start seeing roll ups and and you know ultimately IPOs.
1: Yeah, I think that my my whole everything I'm seeing and and reading and and taking in right now says we're gonna see a lot of consolidation in this next 18, 24 months. Um and i would expect that that would be part of it too just in in knowing what some of the what some of the systems are demanding as far as uh, simplicity and the ability to not have a whole bunch of different points of integration and connection and communication the, the need to to pull a lot of that together i think is going to be important yeah. Um, yeah. anything else around the waystar yeah. movement well, that you're just, seeing
0: you know just to continue your your line of thought you know, health systems are looking for you know, fewer vendors. So one vendor is better than three vendors. But on the flip side, we're also seeing yep. health systems aggregating, and a, you know, a lot of M and A is taking place in the health system side, which um, you know, which also you know lends itself to the the more consolidation, the the more single vendor, right? Because when you're when you're a larger health system, you know, you don't want to have to have you know forty different vendors at you know each of your you know each of your facilities. It creates more complexity.
1: Yeah. So you you kind of you you jumped into another thing I was curious to ask about, and that's the whole M and A sequence. Like, so I've got to think that with all the the health system, and health the hospital health system mergers, movements, com- combinations, that that has some impact on vendors. What uh, what do you see there? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. And actually, we we dug into that in um, in our our study. Uh, so really, yeah. what's, what's happening is as um,
1: that's why I asked. I
0: know as, um, as as health systems merge and become consolidated, right? So the you know the the goal for a health system is to standardize and streamline, save costs, and also have more negotiation leverage with with payers as they consolidate, right? So um, as they're thinking about vendors. They're looking to consolidate as well, and the, um, you know, and, and really have fewer vendors, right? So, from a vendor perspective, you have to be in with a corporate level, and sometimes you might be in with a corporate level and actually um, win an RFP at the corporate level, but you might be one of two or three vendors that win the RFP, and then you still need to sell the individual hospitals or like sub health systems within that health system. So from a vendor perspective, you know, I'd I'd say, um, you know, be on your toes here because if you, you know, if you're, you know, in with a health system and they get acquired, um, you know, make sure you're developing those relationships with the corporate, um, portion of this health system and, you know, make sure you're, you're there at the table if they're issuing an RFP, because that's how you're going to stay in, um, long-term with these health systems.
1: Yeah. And it has a lot of implications in the marketing realm too. If you're, if you are an organization that is, uh, already in, in some, some, uh, a hospital or health system that's undergoing some form of transaction, uh, your proactive efforts in communicating into the acquiring party or however that might be happening is all in your best interest because, you know, the, the amount of affinity and awareness and uh, understanding of your value proposition and what you're bringing is, you know, no telling who the influencers are and the parties that are going to be pulling for you and, or for one of your competitors, right? And so uh, it, it's important to, to do that work and understand who you need to be communicating to, how you need to be building awareness and uh and what that movement needs to look like
0: yeah no absolutely
1: so i noticed that prior authorizations are the top solution that health systems are planning to purchase and what would you i, I was curious what you saw as driving that and i keep reading that payers are dropping uh dropping prior auth requirements tell me Tell me what that all that that picture is shaping up to look like.
0: Sure, great question. So prior authorizations, so they're an important cost management tool by payers. I don't think that surprises anyone. Um, you know, prior authorizations, we you know we saw them you know back in the start, really in the you know gated HMO Hillary care days, uh, but really prior authorizations, um, you know, sorry, it was more expensive procedures. But what payers have Presumably, learned is the more um, prior auth requirements, then um, the, you know the more money they make. Uh, providers are giving pushback though, because the number of procedures requiring prior auth keeps growing, and so there's you know a lot of the the provider community, um, you know various uh, trade organizations, provider you know provider facing organizations are giving pushback, and so now we see we see payers, we see United Healthcare I think it was back in. Um, back in May, June, where they said we're dropping prior authorization requirements. The same day they drop prior authorization requirements, they actually released like a whole new set of prior off required procedures. So I think we're all kind of mm-hmm. scratching our head as to what's going on here, but it seems to be more of a marketing play more than anything. Um, it'll be interesting to see if payers really do drop the, um, you know, do drop some of the um, prior auth requirements. But, you know, prior auths, it's, it's, you know, it's really hard and it's really challenging for providers, right? So in order to get a prior off, you need to know what the correct insurance is for the patient. That's not always a given. And the second thing you need to know is, right. does this procedure for this particular payer require a prior off? And then the third piece is you need the payer to actually give you the prior off right, that whole back and forth of providing the documentation.
1: Lots of connect yeah, points. Yes, so lots there. of connect
0: points, right? So, you know, real, you know, just starting with you know what insurance the patient has. Well, you know, a patient can walk into a hospital and say they have Medicare and the, um, the hospital can actually check to see if they have Medicare and it says active coverage. Well, the patient might actually have Medicare HMO, but it's still showing up that, you know, it shows up as active coverage when they check. Mm -hmm. Um, in the medicare system or at least it used to um you know i presume it still does that now so um so that if it's medicare then the patient doesn't need a prior off and then but if they have a medicare advantage plan then they do need a prior off so now we have the wrong coverage on a patient patient receives the services hospital assumes they're getting paid and then lo and behold it turns out that um you know they just didn't have the coverage right so you know it's um
1: not a great impact on revenue. Yeah.
0: So, you know, then it's <laughs> then it's denied and you, you know, you didn't get the prior off and you provided the procedure without checking with us first and whatnot. So it's this is a really challenging environment. I've also heard of other scenarios where a health system might call, like let's say they, they call the payer and they say, I'm calling to get a prior off on this particular procedure. And the the payer says, Actually, you don't need a prior auth, you're fine. Okay, no prior off needed. Provides a procedure. And then the um The claim gets denied for no prior auth. So, um, you know, so you kind of look at all this and you say, wow, this is a, you know, this is a real hot mess and it's really challenging and frustrating for providers and the amount of resources that they spend on prior auths, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's crazy. And if you look at the report, the second, um, you know, the second solution, you know, number two, right behind prior auth is denials. And, um, you know, it's funny until a couple of years ago, denials was number one. Now prior office has taken that number one spot, but denials still, you know, still a, a close second, but the two are very closely related, right? So if you don't have sure. a valid prior auth, then, then your claim will be denied <laughs> for no prior auth. And typically when it's a, when it's authorization related, these are typically higher dollar claims than, um, you know than the than the other you know maybe more technical denials um, that providers are working through.
1: Yeah, so so safe to say that the whole prior auth ecosystem is <clears throat> pretty heavy on the the minds of of folks in this in this world, and that's and, and just worth knowing that that's going to consume a lot of space and energy um, if if you have a solution that isn't necessarily prior centric you're going to be coming up against uh, a lot of current in that space right now, just to, trying to, uh, to effectively solve for that problem. If that's even close to possible, yeah. if the word effective even can belong there. Yeah. Which... and
0: the, I mean, the solutions out there, I mean, they're, 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 yep. they're doing their best, right? So a combination of creating, you know, a, a rules platform of which payers require prior for what procedures and then, you know, using using RPA to go to your website and pull the information and trying to trying to automate as much as possible of the, the prior off challenge.
1: Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about um, what other areas of RCM are health systems looking at investing in. So we know prior off that's the but that's yeah, prior awesome denial, yeah. what else what's what's coming in under yeah, that so
0: um so uh patient self-service so during um during covid what we saw is patient self-service became really important And when, when i talk about patient self-service is that that pre-check-in to um you know freesia is a, a company we hear a lot that's in this space um so um you know, you, you, get a link and you can fill out your information before you walk into the hospital or the provider's office. Yep. That's a big area.
1: I did it last week. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's a great <laughs> patient experience when it's done well. Um, especially when they have your information, it's pre-populated versus, you know, when you walk into the, you know, walk into the hospital, their physician's office and you get a clipboard and you're refilling the information they have on file for you that they've had for the past 20 years. So, um, yeah, so the patient self-service, um, and another component of patient self-service is self-scheduling. That's an area that, um, that, um, it patients want very much. We actually did a, we had done another study on the consumer side of self-scheduling and, um, even the baby boomers want self-scheduling, which, uh, which, which is fun to see. Um, so patient self-service is definitely a category that, um, you know that we're seeing a lot of traction, and, and really we saw it took take off during COVID, and you know a lot of the health system executives, really in that registration patient access area, wanted to move forward with this patient self service, but they weren't they weren't getting the budget. But when COVID hit and became a um, patient safety issue, that's where we really started to see this take off. Um, Other areas of of revenue cycle that there's a lot of interest in is in that mid-cycle, the mid-revenue cycle. So coding, coding automation. Um, So we asked about computer-assisted coding, which um, we saw a strong demand for, and then a slightly higher demand. So about 26% of the market is looking for autonomous coding versus 23% said computer-assisted coding. I think that really tells you that 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 coding function and, um, and, you know, we've seen the, the demographics on coding, you know, it, a lot of, um, a lot of coders are retiring when we tra- uh, transitioned from ICD 9 to ICD 10. We saw um, a lot of coders retired at that time. So we, you know, you know, we all know about the nursing shortage, but there's also a, a coder shortage out there as well. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a, that's a really important area of demand in the revenue cycle. And then, um, also, um, What's called CDI. So clinical documentation improvement. So we saw 28% of the market is interested in CDI solutions. Um, So clinical documentation improvement. um, Really, it's when you look at the medical record and you say, is all the information that should be there? Is it properly documented? you know, did the, you know, physician potentially go through this a little too quickly and not document some things that we could actually get reimbursed on. So that's, um, that's another area that's, uh, that's, there's a lot of focus and, and some really interesting solutions out there.
1: Gotcha. Um, were you, was, was any of that surprising to you? Is anything there that was a standout?
0: Um, no, actually, um, you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of the you know, I guess I was surprised that, you know, in, in maybe the nuances of the order that patient self-service came above like, you know, clinical documentation improvement, but, um, no, I mean, those are, those are the solutions that, that, um, we were actually expecting to, um, to see bubble to the top.
1: So I know that, um, there's a lot in there and you just mentioned some, a lot in there about automation. Uh, what areas of revenue cycle are really what what is the adoption for automation? What types of things are really catching traction right now? Um, what do you see in there? Yeah,
0: so so in um you know in healthcare, healthcare technology, revenue cycle, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of AI out there and whatnot. and um and a lot of it is actually robotic process automation, and that's that's fitting, right? Because when you think about revenue cycle and what revenue cycle is, revenue cycle is really um, just a lot of manual black, blocking and tackling to get claims paid by the payers. Um, so we've seen, we've seen a lot of RPA in in things like backend follow-up. So in that, you know, in that business office function, you get a denial, the payer's not denying the claim because they're requesting the medical record first. So you, you have to go, you pull the medical record and then you use, um, RPA, well, you use the RPA to go pull the medical record, upload it to the payer website and, um, and really get the, um, you know, get that that claim to the the next status within the um within the workflow. Um, also, prior auth. So prior auth is another um, good application of robotic process automation. Um, yeah. Other areas of um, of a- or true AI we're seeing in um, in coding. So autonomous coding is um, is using AI, machine learning, natural language processing to um, to be able to code a claim. And then um, clinical documentation. Also, we're seeing, you know, natural language processing. Um, so, you know, fair bit of natural language processing in that mid rev cycle. Um, you know, which which makes sense, right? Because you have this unstructured medical record that, you know, having that machine learning come, you know, that NLP machine learning come in um, can really, um, you know, help, uh, you know, make make things much more effective and efficient for the human.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a strong current I'm catching nearly everywhere around the whole uh automation of of documentation that I think is, we're better situated to do now than we've ever been and is uh it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays itself out in the in the compliance realms and and how we're able to to really watch um yeah AI replace a lot of the, uh, the stuff that's driving people crazy right now. So, um, I hope, I hope we see some good movement there. Um, what, uh, what are you seeing happening with full outsourcing? I I know you previously worked at R1. Um, is that a, is that a high area of growth right now?
0: Um, so interesting. So we've, we've done a, a fair bit of work on, you know, looking at the market, trying to understand um, full outsourcing. And from our study, what we found mm-hmm. is that 9% of the market currently is um, fully outsourced. And we say full outsourced, that's...
1: How, what percent of the market 9, did you
0: say? 9% of the market okay. is, um, is fully outsourced. And fully outsourced is... Um, you know, it's it's really tough um because you know the CFO is, yeah. is a
1: lot to, of interface that needs to find its way to done in that.
0: Yeah. And in the CFO is used to being responsible for revenue cycles. So now, you know, taking that entire function, which is an operational function within within the health system, and having having the entire thing managed by a third party is um you know, it, it can be very intimidating. Um,
1: yeah, it feels a little unnatural. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, but, you know, um, you know, having worked at R1, having, um, I, have, um, I have colleagues who are at Ensemble right now, it can work very well. It can work very well because the, um, you know, the outsource vendor brings in technology, it brings in people, it brings in experts and, um, you know, and, and some best practices. So, um, So, I've seen it work really well. And, um you know, I actually think that, you know, over the next 10 years, we're going to see more of this full outsourcing. Um, what we found is um, we found that 4% of the market who is not doing a full outsource. So 4, 4% of the market has active plans to do a full outsource. Um, when we interviewed CFOs to start the project, we actually had several of the CFOs say, um, it, you know, it, a, a way for us to improve our margins that we're seriously considering is doing a full outsource of the, um, the RCM. Then we had another CFO that said, um, if we weren't actively looking to be acquired, because um, that's actually one of the ways that um, CFOs and health systems are right. um, you know, looking to alleviate their margin pressure is uh, if they have negative margins, they're actually looking for an acquirer. Um, but if we weren't in this position looking for an acquirer, then we would be um, actively pursuing full outsourcing.
1: Gotcha. What else uh, what else would be good for us to know about this report, Trish? How, how are you seeing it being used currently?
0: Um, yeah, great question. Um, so we've gotten, we've gotten some really good feedback from the HFMA peer review um, vendors that um, you know that it provides some you know really good information. Um, you know, our hope is that it will be used by the strategy teams, um, at the various vendors and the product teams right for roadmap planning so you know my background in product and you know these are these are the the data points I always wished I had um, so those are those are some of the things that we're um you know we're uh, we're hopeful um we have heard from uh, from uh, one of our clients that does the strategic planning that um you know the information was exactly what um, what they were looking for and needed so excited about that and um and then we're um, You know, we're hopeful that the, um, that the private equity, um, community that's looking to invest in, um, in revenue cycle, you know, is, um, you know, is aware of this report and, um, you know, gets a, gets a chance to, you know, take a look at the numbers and see where the investment areas are.
1: Gotcha. Um, Talk a little bit more, di- pull us into eliciting insights a little bit more and talk about what you all do. Because this, you know, obviously this report isn't everything you do. It is a sample of what you do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, knowing that we're talking to healthcare technology, marketing professionals here, uh, what would you want them to know about the kind of services that you can provide and, and the questions that you can answer?
0: So I, yeah, I was actually at this um, this small business event earlier this uh, this week, and I said I have I have the greatest job in the world, right? So I I get to interview health system CFOs, um, recently interview chief medical officers. We um you know just get to be on the phone with um, you know various revenue cycle and and other hospital executives, even sometimes the provider executives. We really um, get to get to ask them about what their challenges are, what know, what they would like to see as a new solution in the market, or, you know, how they think about various problems. Uh, So from, you know, that's, that's really the core of what we do is we interview and we survey the market to understand what their challenges or pain points are. And the whole reason that I started eliciting insights back in 2015 is, you know, as a product executive, managing up portfolio of healthcare technology and and, you you have you have your you have your investors you have um you know various executives everybody's got an opinion on what product we should build but you don't have the market data they
1: have opinions really
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, you don't have the market data to say you know we should really build a denials management solution (laughs) because you know that fits with what we do and oh by the way, the market will buy it if we build it. So you wind up building some some pro you know, some some solution that, you know, somebody champions or because it's easier for the development team to spin up. And then you spend a lot of time, or at least my experience, maybe, you know, maybe this is very unusual, but um my experience has been then you spend a lot of time <laughs> scratching your head saying, ha, huh, I wonder, I wonder why nobody's buying our solution. So really, that's the kind of, that's the genesis of the listening insights. Um, we built a, we have, so we have a proprietary panel. We have, um, over 3,000 panelists, um, that we, we tap for surveys and interviews, primarily health system. We do have some provider, uh, facing, uh, panelists. And, um, and, and really, um, you know, if you think about the core of what we do, the foundation is, you know, the, t- you know, the qualitative and the, the quantitative market research, then the services we provide, are really leveraging that, you know, qualitative, quantitative, you know, this, this, um, you know, very robust panel we have. Um, and so, you know, things like um, buyer personas or something that, that we do for clients, or um, we do, we'll do win-loss interviews. We'll do, um, we'll do, um, and NPS was really popular a couple of years ago. Um, we will do roadmap planning, help our, help our um, clients really, you know, what which product should they be building, which their more of a market appetite, what feature functionality, competitive analysis. That's something we get asked a lot. Um, recently, um, pricing studies are something that um, that um, we've been asked a lot to do. Um, we also do content development, right? So we're clients that want to create white papers or some unique content. They'll say, hey, can we do some interviews and surveys so that we can come out with some nice citable, um, market data. That's another, um, area we focus, um, strategic planning, um, love doing strategic planning type work. That's really fun. And, um, and then MA work, you know, where, uh, we're an investor or a strategic is looking to, to buy a company and add it to its portfolio.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, the Pragmatic pragmatic Marketing School, yeah. for those of you who are not aware of Pragmatic Marketing, especially those of you t- who are touching product marketing, you ought to go check out Pragmatic Marketing. But one of their famous maxims is that your opinion, while interesting, is irrelevant. Um, you know, I, I, I am amazed at how many decisions get made in healthcare technology, any technology organizations uh, around roadmap and stuff like that that are based on guesses, really, uh, or a very thin sample of experiences that people project out or multiply out to, to make major roadmap decisions. And there are ways to actually learn what the market <laughs> Has is prone to do. And, and it, it's, not, it's not a cheap uh, endeavor. It, it costs something, but it's a lot less expensive than developing the wrong product.
0: Yep. yep and
1: uh, or, or a product that is not going to get the kind of a market adoption that you were hoping because you pointed it in the wrong direction. And uh, that's the kind of work that Trish and, and her team are ready to do. They are as well connected as any I know in this, in this market and ready to. Uh, to help get the kind of insights that organizations need to make the kind of meaning and the impact that you're wanting to make in the market, it is a critical tool because uh, you know understanding product market fit, understanding who's willing, who's getting ready to buy what, uh, and and what they're actually looking for and what's critical in there is not it, it's not something best left to chance. When you can, when you know why guess when you can know or at least know better uh it's, nothing's ever certain the world moves quickly but you know what what stuff like this report is is demonstrating and showing is some is some some really strong foundations to base decisions on and uh and i am just consistently surprised at how uh how organizations are willing to go forward on conjecture um not necessary. You can, you can, you can build a better foundation.
0: Yeah. And you know, I mean, I, I think we've all had the experience, right? We're, we're, we're in a room workshopping with other people and there's a, there's a niceness factor and there's a, there's a hierarchy, right? So, you know, if somebody at a higher level really? wants something to move forward. You just naturally Give that higher weight, you know, and depending if you do a formal rating or or not, right? Because that that person is you know higher level, or, um, you know, you don't want to shoot down anybody else's ideas in front of them. We, so in we, the absence of we
1: call it RC, we call it RCB, uh, recent conversation bias. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's very strong.
0: So in the in the absence of of good market data, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad decisions that are made you know, to be nice or to be, you know, you know, or because of biases. So, um, you, you know, so I, I, I love what we do. I love the work that we do. Um, It's been, it's been fun. Um, I just wish that Listening Insights existed when I was, when I was a product executive years ago, because um, I had trouble finding, um, you know, finding a market research company to help us with, um, with our work. And you know it's funny because yeah. it, oh, it, you know in order to do good B two B market research, you have to know your space, right? So if you know yep. if you if you put me in you know the oil and gas industry and had me interview health, or executives in, in oil and gas, I, I wouldn't understand the nuances of what they were saying. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to speak the language, right? So um, you know, good B two B market research is is really contingent upon um, you know having. Having interviewers or having survey designers or or people doing the analysis really know um know know their market and um you will know, be able to to interpret um you know or expand upon what um what the market is saying.
1: Yeah, definitely good word and um really in, encourage folks, if you haven't already, check out elicitinginsights.com Um Trish, if they are wanting, if people are hearing about this report and going, gosh, I need to, I need to get me some of that. Uh, what's their, what's their path? Where would you direct sure.
0: them? Um, yeah, if you go to the elicitinginsights.com, uh, homepage, there's a button on there that will take you to information about the report, or, um, there's also a market studies page within within the eliciting insights, um, website that, that has our um, various, um, reports out there. We also have, um, you know, if anybody's interested in the, um, the consumer study, we did the self-scheduling that's available for download as well on
1: our website. Awesome. And we'll be linking out to that too, in the context of the, uh, healthcare market matrix show notes. So you can, uh, you can access it there. If you're already tuned into that channel, just, uh, follow the, follow the stream down the page and you'll see the, the links to this, uh, to get those reports as well. Um. Trish, anything else that would be good uh, good for folks to know anything else that you're seeing in the market right now that has you uh has you interested and intrigued
0: you know i I think um, I think automation AI um, it, it's going to be really fun to see where this takes us um, you know I think we're all we're all trying to you know get our heads around chat GPT and what that means um it's going to be really fun to watch um, how this plays out, right? So, you know, are we going to, you know, in, in two or three years, are, are we going to have providers using Chat Chat GPT to create denial or appeal letters to payers, and then payers using Chat GPT to, you know, create the denial letter? And we have Chat GPT arguing <laughs> with one another back and forth. Um, it's I I think it's going to be really exciting to see where um, where automation will um, will take us um i think it's um i think it's really going to um i think we're finally going to start to see the uh the the real payoff in um in the revenue cycle from um you know from investments in in ai machine learning natural language processing
1: yeah i think it's going to happen remarkably quickly i think that the market is extremely ready for it and very incentivized right now uh we can't we can't have uh we can't have clinicians spending time the way they're spending it and we we can't have administrators uh, bogged down so deep that they can't see their way straight and uh, and some things have to change in order for our system to, to survive. And the incentives are extremely aligned to see automation come through. We just have to, you know, from a market perspective, we have to be very careful to understand what people are willing to to do and spend on right now that is in their critical path. That's where Eliciting Insights comes in. Uh, this is a great report that you can, uh, you can access right now to help, uh, in, in that, uh, in that world, it'll give you, uh, it'll be, it'll give you a great picture. So, uh, follow the, follow the, uh, links here. We're going to give you, uh, clear access to that. Trish, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And thank you too, for your investment with the ratio advisory board. We're glad to have you there. And, uh, and looking forward to watching that relationship continue to grow as we uh, as we work together. Awesome.
0: Awesome. And thanks for the opportunity to be on your podcast. Appreciate it.